is the Under Centre Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Mark, and again, I'm only joined by one of my co-hosts, Jake Woolhead. Uh, Jake, I'm be honest, Fiona and I gave you a lot of crap uh, the other day for missing our other show, but now Fiona's missing this one, and I feel like it's kind of, you know, uh, you know the, the, the pot called the kettle black here a little bit. Oh, yeah, I have got a lot of stuff wrote down here to give shit to Fionn, so don't you worry about it. <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, we'll do that in our like off-air meetings because uh, we don't want the... Or maybe we'll put it behind the paywall. That can be our first Patreon sort of <laughs> issue uh, when we start when we start that up. But uh, not not for not for free. We'll put the good stuff behind the paywall. Um, but we are we have another edition of the show today, and we are going to be talking a lot about the Seattle Seahawks. And on the show today, we are delighted to be joined by Mucky Alexander, who writes for the Field Field Goals uh, blog on SB Nation. Uh, Mucky, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, good evening over there because it's afternoon here. I even got the Seahawks uh, shirt rolling, but uh, yeah, every, everything's going fine. Can't wait for the season to start. Uh, I know last year was a bit odd because of no preseason, but this year things haven't actually gotten that much better. But still, within the climate we're in, we're still able to get hopefully a, a proper season going. And now not only do we have a preseason, we're, we're going to have an extra regular season game. Yeah, I think if we can substitute a preseason game for a regular season game, I think all fans are definitely on board for that. Players, not so much, we've heard, but definitely uh, the fans would uh, crave another uh, regular season game for sure. Um, And we were actually going to start with last Saturday's game, but um, we had some breaking news last night. And that was, of course, the Jamal Adams uh, new contract with the Seahawks. Four years, $70 million, 38 of that, of course, guaranteed. He's uh, become the highest paid safety in the league. And there was a few stories a couple of days prior to this that the the two parties were in a stalemate. They were at loggerheads over $2 million million guaranteed and and when they would be paid out. But um, all parties happy in the end and, and the deal is signed. Yeah, that was a relief because I know pro football talk, uh, Mike Flory was trying to stir some shit up like he normally does and suggest that, you know, the Seahawks were just going to take this a year at a time. And, and if neither if neither party blinks, then this would drag on for quite a while. Apparently, Jamal Adams' mother uh, was instrumental in, in getting Jamal to sign the contract, which is awesome. That's a good example of listening to your parents right there. Uh, but Seattle had to get the deal done. Good for Jamal. But when you consider the draft capital they gave up, to give up two first-round picks for a safety, um, it's a quite hefty cost, even for somebody as talented and, and as versatile as Adams. You had to get the deal done because the alternative was if you let him test free agency or you franchise tag him, do any other thing that does not guarantee a long-term future, that trade is going to look really, really poor because the Seattle Seahawks did that in such a win-now uh, manner like you, you don't give up two first round picks unless you're absolutely intending to to make a serious Super Bowl push over the next couple of seasons. So uh, Adams had an injury riddled 2020, but he had nine and a half sacks. And that's one of the things he does best is just get after the quarterback uh, coverage. Not as good. And I got to think some of that is his injury, his injury problems. And also the fact that he was in a new system, not playing with the New York Jets. He's 
the Seahawks and Jets don't run the same thing. And um, with the proper offseason now, and he's, he's at practice again now that this deal is done, hopefully we do get to see, one, Adams doesn't have to blitz as much because I think that was part of the reason why the Seahawks' defense was so bad is the pass rush was so poor to start the season, he had to blitz a lot. And then the second bit is we see more of his capabilities in coverage because if he gets better there, then he's pretty much a complete safety. He's somebody who can get after the quarterback like Troy Polamalu or, or be a, a, a great coverage safety too. I think he's going to be always better at rushing the quarterback compared to covering uh, receivers or tight ends. But still, uh, for somebody who's very young, very talented, I think this deal is pretty good. And in fact, the cap space situation improves with this deal. So I, I'm glad that they got this done without this dragging into the actual regular season. Yeah, definitely. I think it was a, a three, four million dollar cap save uh, by re- obviously giving him the new contract as well. But it, it, listening to his press conference yesterday um, after signing the deal, um, uh, there was uh, obviously he, like you're saying, he mentioned um, his his mother and and his father to sort of help him come to that decision. But he, he is a player to sort of he has become accustomed to the the Seattle way of it. I think him and Pete Carroll have got a, a, a good relationship. And you were mentioning that just last season with, with the coverage issues and stuff like that. And at the very start of the show, obviously you mentioned that we there was no preseason last year. And I think that was something that possibly it you know was a bit of a disadvantage for for Adams because he didn't get to you know really get to understand you know the 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 scheme of the team and I think uh, I think it was either Pete Carroll or was it, it was a Ken Norton um that alluded to that that he was um asked or asked to blitz a lot more than they would have liked solely because he wasn't familiar with the uh, defensive scheme. Yeah, and also. As I mentioned earlier, before the Carlos Dunlap trade, the Seahawks just could not get any pressure, consistent pressure, rushing the base package. They could not get to the quarterback with four guys. So you bring Adams there, and Adams' speed, his closing speed is fantastic. So uh, he, he really is a gifted quarterback sack uh, master, if you will. But it, it can be too much of a good thing because if you blitz as often as Seattle did last year, they are, historically speaking, not a big blitzing team. And they had to blitz a lot last year because the pass rush issues were, were just so pronounced. Um, but they can they can balance this out with Adams. I think even Ken Norton Jr. mentioned in a press conference having to, to provide a more balanced look at Jamal Adams and the defense as a whole. And I guess that is to say we're not going to take away, we're not going to drastically reduce how often he does blitz because you don't want him to just strip him of, of what he's excellent at. But... We want to balance it so that, yeah, we're going to use him in ideal situations where you do want to get after the quarterback or a run blitz, of course, because he's very good at stopping the run, too. He can shed tackles like a like a, a linebacker would. But you also want to see him in coverage more so that the, the, the schemes are, are, are a little bit more balanced in general. And we're not seeing the imbalance where you got, you know, unconvincing corners having to cover one on one so much. Yeah, definitely. And. Now that with um, Jamal Adams signed up now too, and I, I think there's last time I checked, there was 21 players that that are unsigned um, at the end of this current season, and one of them, of course, is going to be his uh, safety partner, and that's Quandre Diggs. Um, do you think that now seeing Adams' uh, contract that um, Diggs would be someone that would be looking for? 
something similar or will the fact that like you were mentioning all the attributes Adams brings to the safety position that maybe Diggs doesn't in terms of his blitzing ability and run stuffing ability that um, he would command maybe a lesser deal well um, with, with Quandre Diggs I, I've been banging the drum on that and if you hear a, a loud noise in the background it is uh, the lawnmowers at my apartment <laughs> complex so uh, I, I guess uh, that, that's a good metaphor for the fact that Jamal will be mowing down quarterbacks this season very very frequently <laughs> But um, with, with Quandre Diggs, I think he's a really underrated player, underappreciated. I know he made the Pro Bowl last year, but really Pro Bowl has stopped being a great metric for, for how good a player is. But I think Diggs' value uh, is even greater than what uh, Adams brings in, 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 the, uh, in terms of what they gave up because they gave up two firsts for Jamal Adams. He'll probably be making all pros on the regular. But for Quandre Diggs, fifth-round pick. I mean, Detroit gave him away for practically nothing, and he instantly improved Seattle's secondary. So I don't think that the Seahawks are looking to make Diggs uh, among the league's highest paid safeties. But in, in this contract year, I, I'm getting the sense that he, he might end up just playing the season out, and then they, they address this in the offseason. But I don't think the Seahawks should give up Diggs. I, I think that he is a very he has become a very, very valuable part of the secondary and he, he does have some Earl Thomas-like qualities to his game without being Earl Thomas in his prime. I mean, he, he really can, can jar the ball loose from receivers with, with just torpedoing his way, uh, hopefully not getting as many penalties as well. But he's a pretty sound tackle. He's got very impressive ball skills. In fact, that's the one thing I'd say Diggs is better than Adams is, is just pure ball skills and coverage. So I know Jamal brought that up. I think it's a very big part of the Seahawks. Over, this, over these next, let's say, 12 months, we'll extend it to the next offseason, is making sure that that Adams-Diggs pairing stays intact. Now, Seattle has actually got it good at safety because we know what happened post-Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. They had Lano Hill and Tedrick Thompson, not good enough. So you get Diggs and Adams. Diggs is, is 30, I believe, so he, he's not a spring chicken, but still, that's not to the point where you think, oh, he's only got one or two more years left. I think you want to keep that partnership. But if they don't, Ryan Neal showed himself to be a very good backup safety for Adams. Uh, you have Marquise Blair, who could be at nickel corner, but he's also drafted as a safety. And then Ugo Amadi, they tend not to play him at safety, uh, but he could play safety. And, and I know they got an undrafted free agent, uh, Ashari Crosswell, uh, who is hoping to make the team. But in general, the Seahawks are, are pretty well set at safety. I just like them to stay set, keep this going. You keep Adams. You've got Adams locked in for another however many years, 44 seasons and beyond. And with Quandre Diggs at 30, I don't think he's going to get a big contract, but I think Seattle will try and, and make it a priority to re-sign him if this this season goes without him getting a new contract. And then we look at trying to get him a new deal before free agency starts next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Jake, I'm going to sort of flip this over to you a little bit because uh, the the deal with Jamal obviously making him the the, the highest paid safety could have um, ramifications for your team because Jabril Peppers is a, a player who's highly sought sought at uh, at the Giants and he'll be coming up to his contract year soon. So, what what did you make of the Jamal Adams deal um, in terms of obviously looking at your own team's perspective? Yeah, I kind of feel um, it kind of screwed us over a little bit, if we're going to be honest, because I really like Jabril Peppers, and I just don't see them paying him that type of money. He's good. He's not Jamal Adams good. He's he's not um, he's not that good, but 
he is a, still a quality player and he still has a lot of talent and he's got a lot of room to grow. Um, but I just don't see see the Giants pushing out that type of money. I, I don't know. It's kind of sad to see because we traded Odell away to get uh, Jabril Peppers and those extra picks and stuff. I would really like to see him stay on the team, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's fair enough. Well, possibly with with the larger cap coming into cap, coming into space in the next couple of years, that could hopefully help because. Well, it might you might not even be blaming Jamal Adams soon because yeah. the rumors are, of course, Tyron uh, yeah, Matthew is going to be getting his uh, his bag soon enough too. So we'll see with that going forward. But but um, okay, going back to you, I, I you know we can talk about contracts all day, and I, I just want to ask about one more before we move on um, to the actual sort of team aspect, and that's obviously left tackle Dwayne Brown. He's looking for a new contract at the moment, and he's having a a, a mini holdout, um, just like Adams did at camp before um, getting his contract. Is there any indication that that the Seahawks now that they have the Jamal Adams contract sorted out that they're going to move over to um, uh, Brown and try and figure that uh, deal out? Um, from what I've read and, and what I've seen from local Seattle media, it, it looks like the Seahawks are willing to just let that contract play out. And that's, it's risky. I kind of understand it because I, I love Dwayne Brown. He's clearly Seattle's best offensive lineman. He's also 35 or, or, or 36 years old. He's one of the older starting linemen in the league. And at that position, that's not only a handful of players to have any success when they're that close to 40. So if he's like Andrew Whitworth, then yeah, you, you'll see Seattle hopefully try and get him a one or two year extension. A long-term deal to me is totally out of the question. He's just too old for that. But as far as giving him a, a fair bit of money uh, over the next couple of seasons, I think that should be uh, really a, an important part of, of the Seahawks' off-season plans or in-season plans if they want to give him a deal now. Uh, but it, it's the, the risk of losing him is, is serious because Seattle's tackle depth is not very good. Yeah, I mean, we saw it in the preseason game. It is not good at all. Too many uh, question marks both for health and also in experience. And every time Dwayne Brown has been out, Unless George Fats was the backup, uh, it, it's gone pretty poorly for Seattle. So, so I, I hope they keep Brown. Uh, he, he was a very good trade and a must because let's not forget, the reason why they traded for Dwayne Brown is because they wanted to make uh, George Fant the, the, the left tackle uh, for, for the start of the 2017 season, tears his ACL. So they get Dwayne Brown after dealing with some really substandard play from Riso Diambo and, and others. So... I think that they will keep Dwayne Brown. Uh, it's just a matter of will it get done this season or next offseason. So that, that's where the, the, the increased cap does come into play because Seattle doesn't have plentiful cap space. But with the new TV deal and everything else, uh, I think there's every reason to try and extend Dwayne Brown a couple more seasons. Uh, he's still playing at a high level. So even acknowledging his age and the fact that he's really not practicing anymore because of just being a, a veteran, but also having these these knee issues. Um, I, I really just hope for the best with the Seahawks because we know their history as far as paying offensive linemen. They don't do it very often. Um, they, they're more likely to, to let him go in free agency or Max Unger's case, trade him. Uh, so for, for Dwayne, it, it really should be a must because, like I said before, the tackle situation is not ideal. And if he ever gets injured, then the Seahawks are in big trouble. But we haven't had to really worry about that too much because even though I've just mentioned the knee issues that have prevented him from practicing consistently, he's always shown up in the injury report. He hasn't missed that many games in his Seahawks career. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's funny because the Giants are obviously in a very similar situation uh, in terms of the O-line. I was talking with a friend of mine who is also a Seahawks fan, and I just pointed out that the major difference between the Giants and the Seahawks is the quarterback. Um, it's a lot easier to get around a bad O-line when you have a quarterback such as Russell Wilson, a lot harder when you have a quarterback who likes to drop the ball on the ground quite a bit, as Daniel Jones has shown in the past. Now, Mookie, I just want to ask you about a young guy, maybe the opposite of Dwayne Brown, Dwayne Eskridge. Um, the, the rookie wide receiver. I just want to ask how he's getting on so long. I, I haven't seen much about him, and I haven't seen him in the preseason, so I just want to get your opinion on him. Well, the hope is we'll see him in the preseason against the Broncos or, or at least against the, uh, the Chargers in the final week of the, the preseason because uh, he'd been dealing with a toe injury, so he wasn't really active in minicamp. Uh, he only just started practicing on Tuesday, so he's off the, the, the PUP list, and that, that's a big deal to just have him available because it's been a running joke. Uh, as of late, that when the Seahawks take a high, take a, a player in the first or second round, they're pretty much always hurt before their rookie season can begin. That's what happened last year with Daryl Taylor. Malik McDowell's career basically ended before it could begin, and now he's trying to get it back, back under control of Cleveland. So it's been a running joke. But with Eskridge looking healthy and looking sharp in practice, he's, he's, he's cutting well. Uh, he's showing off his route running skills and his speed. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that Eskridge can be – uh, uh, that valuable third receiver for the Seahawks because we know DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett um, are going to be, I, I would say at this point, 1A and 1B as far as, as, as options for Russell Wilson. But with Eskridge's speed, um, his special teams abilities as well, but just the, the fact that he can get separation, it looks like he can make a lot of contested catches. It, it can spread the defenses out a lot better so that unlike what we've seen the last two seasons late in the season, um, the Seahawks defense uh, uh, opposing defenses are not consistently just keying in on stopping Metcalf and Lockett. And then suddenly the whole offense is toast. Uh, if Eskridge can make an immediate impact, that would do wonders, not just for, for Russell Wilson, but also for Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator, because I think part of the reason the drafted receiver is not just to appease Russell Wilson, but uh, with Waldron's ties with the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay, they're pretty consistently stacked at wide receiver. I mean, they have such great talent there and schematically, I think there's a bigger emphasis on receiver depth uh, with Waldron or any Sean McVay disciple. So uh, people didn't necessarily like the pick when it happened because they're going, oh, you know, Russell Wilson was, was talking about the offensive line, this and that. You should have gone O-line first. They have in the past to varying degrees of success. But I, I disagree because I feel like, uh, especially with Lockett having a couple of injuries, nagging injuries, that didn't cause him to miss time. But when he was banged up, the offense, not coincidentally, the passing offense, it is, had a little bit of, little bit of a decline in efficiency. So Eskridge as a number three option, you can work him in the slot, you can work him outside. Uh, he, he could be the key for the Seahawks' vertical passing game especially, but also for yards after catch because Seattle's been very poor at that uh, under previous offensive coordinators. But you have Metcalf, Lockett, and Eskridge. Those can be potential yak monsters. Yeah, and, and – Interestingly, um, with with the addition of Eskridge, I should say, um, sort of fills that hole left by the likes of David Moore, who was not a name that is familiar with a lot of fans outside of Seattle, but he was, for Seattle fans, that number three guy that, okay, he's not getting targeted a lot but when he is, he it obviously is a specific play to him. And he was that sort of threat, uh, deep threat as well vertically. I can remember, I think it was the uh, Patriots game 
last year where he yeah. had that uh, touchdown in the corner. Um, so he had he always had these fantastic catches sort of right on the sideline where he knew to keep his feet in bounds. So it was definitely important to get that sort of third receiver. Now, more was more like that vertical threat. Eskridge is going to be a, a pacey guy, but what have you what have you made of um the likes of the of two that uh, receivers that are already there in um Jeff Swain and, and Penny Hart um in term, in camp this year that have they sort of do you think making a, a step forward that they could contend as well to um be more involved in the offense this coming year and give Shane Waldron that. Um, variety of receiver that he's looking for. Yeah, well, correct. Freddie Sway, not Jeff Sway. I think you could. Oh, Freddie. You know sorry. what happened? Because I think there's somebody on the 49ers or Cowboys named Jeff Swain. So, but, or, or I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the, the Cowboys tight end there. That I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah. I think I was watching Hard Knocks last night. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. So with, with Freddie Swain, uh, sixth round pick in in 2020. I like what they did with him under Brian Schottenheimer, which is to just get him in space. It looks like uh, they, they clearly have designed some place for him. He's not exactly a burner by any means, but uh, he, he seems to find open pockets of space. You can run shallow crossers with him. Uh, he, he seems like a, a dependable number four receiver. The, the question mark will, will be how good is he as a blocker? Because another thing with the passing game for any Rams-based offense is can the receivers block well? If they can't, they're going to have a hard time getting snaps. So Swain, in, in that playoff game against the, the Rams on the interception, it's his blown block that was one of the reasons that pass got picked off. But uh, I, I like Swain's work. Penny Hart, we hardly saw him last year. It, it was mostly him on special teams. Uh, but I, I noticed in the New York Jets game, I, I recall he had, a, um, he had a design run for him that gained 17, 18 yards. He, he's somebody who, who's got potential to make this roster just for a special team's uh, value. But I think he, there's a real chance we could see him get more targets this year because he, he is a, a versatile threat. Uh, it's kind of the theme here with, with the Seahawks receiving core is that speed and, and just quickness is the name of the game. And that's something that I've been banging the drum so long that the Seahawks team speed really needs to improve. So with Penny Hart, he can be a vertical threat. Uh, we just haven't seen a lot of targets for him. But um, he, he can be someone that you can get one or two targets a game to, but also somebody who can be part of jet sweeps or even just fake motions. Because if there's going to be more motion in this uh, Shane Waldron offense, then you want guys who are genuine threats to run the ball uh, and, and rip off big games. So that could be Freddie Swain or Penny Hart or, or, or Dwayne Eskridge. So I, I think the Seahawks are pretty comfortable at wide receiver at the moment. Uh, with that calf lock and, and, and now that Eskridge is healthy. But I would keep an eye said, on, on both Swain and Hart because they could make uh, pretty impressive second season leaps. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's have a quick chat about the, the preseason games in general. I don't want to spend too much time on, on the Raiders game because from a Seattle point of view, it was awful. Uh, the highlight obviously was the DJ That's Dallas. So yeah, the, the highlight was the DJ Dallas sort of, you know, a touchdown at the, the the opening sort of defensive drive, I think for the first two downs, you know, they got some nice pressure on Peterman and then they just couldn't get off the field at all for third down for most of that game. But what the, the biggest, the biggest uh, story that I want to ask about is, is the issues at center. Um, obviously, Ethan Pothich did not play. He's currently injured at the moment. So um, Fuller started at center instead. And, I think he had a grade of 18, 
I, I believe. I think that I finished with. It, I know it was it was pretty bad. Um. So and for obviously a position group on the line, which you know Russell Wilson spoke about in the off season. Yes, they obviously traded for Gabe Jackson and and he is a, a very valuable addition in the guard position um, opposite there with uh, Damian Lewis, who I think is going to have a, another good year this year too. But center seems to be a, a point where I think there's a, there's a little bit of fear for Seahawks fans now going forward to see if, because they weren't too enamored with uh, Ethan Postage's uh, performances last season. Yeah, and you could tell they weren't an avenue. Otherwise, they would have given him a bigger contract than just a one-year low-money prove-it deal. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm pretty concerned about the center position. Excuse me, Austin Ryder, I think, is still a free agent. Uh, mm-hmm. So if if Seattle is is in need of the, in case of emergency, break-the-glass situation, I think Ryder's a safe pair of hands. Uh, with Kyle Fuller, he got the one start last year when Posick was hurt against um, the Rams, the first game against the Rams. Terrible. Just a, a terrible performance. And he was getting beat like a drum in this preseason game against the Raiders. So Posick better be healthy because this was supposed to be a competition uh, between Posick and Fuller. And that was not a convincing start by Fuller at all. So I, I know Phil Haynes, I think, is the, uh, the guard has, has gotten some snaps at center. But the consistent problem for Haynes is staying healthy. Uh, he, he was injured for pretty much all of 2019. And the same applied in 2020. So you can't rely on him to stay healthy. He got injured in this last preseason game too. So he, luckily he seems to be fine and he'd be good in good position to play. But we've seen the value of a center in today's NFL. That's why Corey Lindsay can get the contract that he got. Um, and also just from a Seahawks point of view, when um, Max Unger got traded, they had to get another center and they went with Drew Nowak. And it was no block. He, he's got to be one of the worst centers <laughs> I've ever seen. So they had to give up the ghost on him. They played, um, I think, Patrick Lewis, and then it got better. And it was only on the third time that they got Justin Britt to, to be in a position that he was actually good at. So not good at tackle, not good at guard. Once he was at center, things stabilized. So I don't think the Seahawks would be well served to uh, just sit on this Posick and Fuller uh, combination. Uh, I know Damian Lewis had a, had a game at center last year against Arizona. He had a, a couple of... Uh, weird snaps, but otherwise he, he didn't embarrass himself at all. But it's not something you want to bank on, and you want Lewis to be playing at guard. I, I think, like Dara, you, you mentioned Lewis should have another good season. I think he's got Pro Bowl potential. He, he's got potential to be an all-pro just in general because he had a really strong rookie year, and we know what Gabe Jackson can provide. But center is now, outside of, of, of Dwayne Brown's situation, center is the second biggest question for the Seahawks offensive line. If we get substandard center play, then – the odds of the Seahawks passing offense or the Seahawks offense in general looking like a cohesive unit, not going to be very high. I, I'm not convinced uh, at all that Fuller is the answer at center. I think that Postic should be the starter when he is healthy. Yeah, uh, totally agree. Um, and I think, yeah, I think taking Damian Lewis away from from the guard position to if he needs to fill in a center could hamper his development. I think he would have to play as many games as guard as he can um, while he's young in the NFL to sort of try and yeah, mold him into that pro ball style um, guard that we hope that he turns into. But let's look ahead to um, the second preseason game on, on Saturday. Hope, we're hoping maybe obviously to get a somewhat of a better uh, cohesive performance from from uh, Seattle. Is, is there any indication that we might see a few more of um, the starters uh, playing in this game? 
you know, this is interesting because with three preseason games, we'll, we'll know whether or not teams just in general are going to be willing to play their stars. Like the Rams pretty much never play their starters at all. I think Sean McVay just straight up declared, we're not playing any of our stars in the preseason. They've been fine with that. And maybe just maybe there's a correlation between that and the fact that they hardly ever get injured in the regular season. But um, as far as the Seahawks are concerned, I really don't want to see that much backup play again. But uh, <laughs> I think that given this is this could be the dress rehearsal game, so to speak, uh, the second of, of three preseason games, and also the fact that it's at home, this is going to be the first game of any sort really in front of a, a full house of fans since 2019. They, they may play the starters, say, a quarter, quarter and a half, I think no more than one half. Uh, so I, I think we'll see Russell Wilson in this game, and maybe that'll be his only preseason appearance. Maybe a few snaps for Metcalf and Lockett. Uh, well, probably not Lockett because he's dealing with a sore groin, but still Metcalf, uh, some of the starters on the offensive line, certainly more starters on the defensive side of the ball uh, than we saw last week. And uh, it, it should be a better game just by default uh, because what we saw out of last week was something that it's it, at least it's just preseason, but it was so uninspiring watching so many backups play and get thoroughly outplayed by the Raiders backups. I mean, Nathan Peterman was out there looking like Joe Montana at, at some stretches. And then offensively, they, they were just so out of sync uh, with Geno Smith, who probably can't play this week with the concussion. And then Alex Magoo and Sean Mannion were, were just, they're not good passers at all. So I think the key here for, for the Seahawks and whether or not we will see more uh, first-team starters is it boils down to the offensive line. So we're not going to see Dwayne Brown at all. And this is irrespective of the contract. Probably not Posick either, but we can still get Damian Lewis and Gabe Jackson and probably Brandon Shell at the very least. So I think it wouldn't hurt to see them play a quarter, quarter and a half. And to be any injury that happens then would just be bad luck. I, I mean, it, it would be bad luck more than anything. It, it's, it's not a big risk at all. Just play some of your starters for the first half of the Denver game. And then play your, your backups for, for the last preseason game. And then you get down to roster cuts on, on the 31st. Yeah, I think um, a lot of teams are unwilling to play as much starters this season because they've only got the three preseason games. So now they don't want to um, leave the bubble players and, and decide who your depth pieces are. So you're not going to have that extra game to decide that. So maybe you're seeing a lot more uh, snaps gone to players who might not make the team necessarily to kind of evaluate them. So I, I could see that's probably why they're doing that. Yeah, it, it would make sense um, because but one fewer preseason game for, for everybody, uh, even the Hall of Fame game teams, Cowboys and Steelers, they still played four this year. But otherwise, unless they're invited back every year, that's never going to happen. Uh, you, you'll, you'll just get the three. And what we've seen so far is uh, through the first preseason games, pretty much no starters playing at all across the league. And the only ones who are playing tend to be in competition with somebody else. So yeah. and there's hardly anybody that we've seen so far who uh, across the entire league playing extended snaps who aren't kickers or punters. Yeah. Yeah. And rookie quarterbacks seem to get a lot of, they obviously want to evaluate them. So they get mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of snaps too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lucky, lucky that um, we don't have to evaluate that. Well, we can evaluate how the 49ers are getting on with, with Trey Lance and, you know, all the stories was his fantastic touchdown pass there at the weekend, but no one mentioned how he was sacked numerous times by the Chiefs defense. But let's let's not talk about that because you're not allowed to. But um <laughs> <laughs> So no Hall of Fame jacket for, for Trey Lance just yet? 
No. Oh, they, they have his just... measurements. They have his measurements there, I'm sure, at this stage. Uh, Is there a preseason Hall of Fame? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's it. Well, look at it in a positive sense. Ten years ago, Russell Wilson won the starting job in preseason in Seattle, and look how it's gone since then. So, you know, it, it, it can happen where, you know, you win the job in preseason and the job is yours and you become that franchise guy. Let's just hope it's not the 49ers that it happens to. I, I'd like Chicago to do it because like, we have a soft spot over here for, for the Bears and hoping Justin Fields does, does well over there. One of the things, though, that we didn't see much in the offseason, in the game against the Raiders last week is, you know, elements of a Shane Waldron offense. You know, to play, like, I think the the first three series, at least definitely the first two series, were all uh, passing uh, plays um, and not many runs at all. Um, not a lot of motion either. Are we hoping maybe to see a bit more of that now this Saturday? A, a little bit more. Uh, I don't think they're going to show much of their hand this preseason. The, the play sequencing, I'm not too worried about because it, it's really just testing out plays. You're not testing out real game situations all the time uh, because you also don't want to do things schematically with a bunch of guys who really should not be playing regular season snaps. Uh, but for the first teamers, yeah, we, we might see some different things. And then, yeah, you bring up the play calling last week. I think the running backs only had seven carries. So I'm subtracting any desi- uh, any scrambles by Alex Magoo. I think he had one design run, but DJ Dallas might have five carries and Alex, Alex Collins had, had two or, or Cam Scarlett or one of the other backups had one to eight carries. Uh, but that's very sparse for a preseason game. Very sparse for a regular NFL game, really. Uh, so they were very pass heavy. So we got to see an evaluation of the backup offensive linemen, and it's not glowing reviews at all. Uh, and hopefully this weekend we will see Rashad Penny also play because Chris Carson, I'm not sure he really needs preseason at this point of his career, but Rashad Penny is somebody who really should not have his backup spot assured. Uh, both for the fact that he's not been a, a tremendously effective player on a consistent basis. He was looking better in 2019 for the knee injury. And then the second bit is because of the knee injury, you want to see him get reps in. Like we saw with Daryl Taylor uh, on the defensive side of the ball, he played more than half the game. Uh, for, for somebody who didn't play at all last year because he was recovering from leg surgery, we got to see him play a good chunk. And he, and he showed some good things and showed some not so good things, but he's a rookie to learn. Uh, so on the Waldron side, I think we'll learn a lot more about Waldron pretty much in week one uh, of the regular season. But for these preseason games, uh, you, you'll get teases here and there, I think, because uh, Pete Carroll pretty much admitted as such that they they intended to, to throw a lot with Geno Smith. Uh, so it, it wasn't anything to do about, hey, this is how I'm going to call the plays in the regular season, which is to be obnoxiously pass heavy uh, and unreasonably pass heavy. This is just hey, we want to work some plays out. We want to test some things out with, with these guys and then do our evaluations from, from then on. I have just a quick question for you. I want to do a little throwback to last season. You were obviously going into the to the Meadowlands against the, the New York Giants, uh, missing a starting Daniel Jones. Um, how were you feeling going into the game? And then obviously when Colt McCoy destroyed you, uh, coming out of the game, you obviously felt a bit differently. Well, it wasn't even in the Meadowlands. It was in Seattle. That's what made it I worse. It. Okay. I, 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 I was <laughs> the only nervous bit I had is I thought, you know, the Giants defense is, is quite good. So this could be somewhat of a problem. But, you know, the Giants offense is so atrocious, even when Jones is starting, <laughs> that uh, th- th- this should be no issues. And the defense wasn't terrible. They held the Giants to 17 points. But 
who was it? Alfred Morris suddenly looked like the Alfred yeah. Morris of Washington and Wayne Goldman had the game <laughs> of his life. So it was just, it was one of the more embarrassing losses that I can ever recall of the Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson era, because really the 17th toll school, I'd almost felt kind. The Giants could have easily won by more. Uh, and the other part of me is thinking if Daniel Jones was starting, he probably would have had more turnovers than Colt McCoy. And that would have given Seattle more opportunities to win the game. But yeah, the, the, the Giants were, were the better team that day. And it was just rough to watch all game long because it, it really, I think that might've been the, the, the signifier that the let Russ cook pass heavy offense, which I still support the pass heavy offense. This is just the way with all the metrics uh, that you can look at being in a pass first offense is the way to go in the seat. Run first offenses like, like Baltimore and Tennessee, they have their limitations and we see it in the playoffs every year. But the way that the Seahawks went about it by being proactively pass first, which is good, but not necessarily being schematically uh, equipped to do that, uh, and that the predictability really wore on, that was, was a telling sign because Seattle in that game, they were so pass heavy, even though Carson was running fine, uh, but Wilson was not effective, and he was getting sacked a bunch. And by the end of the game, they had back up offensive linemen. So, yeah, that Giants game really felt like that the season could have caved in at that point. But little did we know that – the Rams would lose to the Jets two weeks later in a far more embarrassing defeat. So the New York teams really told the New York teams were responsible for shaping the NFC West. Uh, I guess you could say. <laughs> Not yeah, often you can say that. <laughs> yeah, I think what was it? I think it was the Seahawks beat the Jets like 40 to 3 one week. And then the very next week, they traveled to LA and then they beat the Rams as well, which no one thought was going to, to happen uh, for sure. But Looking at the the at the NFC West, um, we we've talked we've talked to a, a few um, people uh, like you know other podcasts that are affiliated with the other teams in the West, and you know the the, the consensus is that this is con- going to continue to be one of the if not the strongest division in the in the NFL next year. How do you feel about the? additions and the losses that the other teams have made um and and you think that we may see um it sort of you know will we see the the resurgence of the 49ers again and will matt stafford be the savior for the rams to finally take them to the super bowl and will we actually see an improvement under cliff kingsbury and the cardinals yeah, the, the NFC West used to be the laughingstock uh, of football. I mean, the Seahawks and Pete Carroll's first year, they got to win the NFC West at 7-9. and nine, And even during the Mike Holmgren years, they were consistently winning a pretty awful division. Uh, but now I yearn for those days because if we could have this crop of Seahawks players with a terrible division, like the Patriots all those years in the AFC East with Brady and, and Belichick getting to, to rampage through a bunch of, of no-hope Bills, Dolphins, and Jets teams every year, this would be a great chance for the Seahawks to always make deep playoff runs. But in the NFC West now, you can make a case for any team winning the division and also for any team finishing last in the division and missing the playoffs. Um, it's really that competitive. So for the 49ers, I expect them to be good, even though Garoppolo isn't good and we don't know how good Trey Lance is, just on the basis that they have, to me, the most talented roster in the division, especially at receiver. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they just have so many great players the problem last year was just they all got injured at, at a level that even in an injury-laden season, they were an outlier as far as just how many people were hurt. Uh, for the Rams, I, I think we're kind of underplaying a couple of their losses on defense. You lose Troy Hill and John Johnson, both to Cleveland. 
Uh, I would not be shocked if their defense regressed just a tad. And of course, Brandon Staley's gone. He, he's ended up as the head coach of the Chargers. So there could be regression on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I think they'll still be really good. I feel like Matthew Stafford's legacy as some like all-time great quarterback has been heavily inflated ever since he got traded from Detroit. Because, yes, it's Detroit. It's really hard to win there. Stafford's a very good quarterback. But I don't see how he escapes any responsibility for the fact that they never want a playoff game there. And that seems to be like a, a requirement to be considered a, an upper echelon franchise quarterback as far as I'm concerned. But um, the Rams have enough talent that as long as Stafford stays healthy, the Rams should be in contention. Not necessarily best team in the NFC, but they should be in the running for, for a, a Super Bowl run. The Cardinals, that's the question mark to me because I am unconvinced uh, as far as Cliff Kingsbury actually being a good head coach. I think for somebody as exciting as Kyler Murray they, and, and with one of the best receivers in the league and DeAndre Hopkins, they should have a much more exciting, much more vertical passing attack than they actually have. The assortment of screen passes and just so much two and three yard throws. If somebody's got the arm to throw, of course, the, the, the hail Murray against Buffalo, it's staggering. And also the number of times that Kingsbury's gone oddly conservative in late game situations, uh, like the Miami game last year, they didn't go for it on fourth down, miss a field goal, lose to, and lose because they can't get a defensive stop. That's one of the games that cost them the playoffs. So I feel like the Cardinals talent and I'm bringing this up a lot, is really good. You got Murray, you got, a, you got a, a, an improving offensive line now that they traded for Rodney Hudson. I think Chase Edmonds uh, could have a breakout year if you're into fantasy football as, as one of the top running backs. We know what Hopkins can provide. Defensively, uh, Buda Baker, when he's not being chased down by DK Metcalf, is one of the best safeties in the game. Uh, the, the, the quarterback situation could be a little bit weaker. I don't know if Chandler Jones is going to stay in Arizona because he's requested a trade, but for as long as he's there, him and, and J.J. Watt should continue to wreak havoc as far as their pass rush. And then the linebackers, Isaiah Simmons, uh, he, he's kind of the jack-of-all-trades, but I think he's really good as well. He's really promising. So I feel like coaching will hold back Arizona, uh, but the Rams, 49ers, and Seahawks, I believe, will, will end up being the ones who battle it out for the division. Yeah, definitely. I sort of agree with that too. And um, we'll obviously it's going to be a, a very exciting uh, season coming up. Hopefully, a good one for for Seahawks fans. But Mucky, before we let you go, um, where can people find uh, you on Twitter, and where can people find your work? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mucky Alexander. Um, you can read my work over at Field Goals. I'm the managing editor there. And uh, if you're a, a UFC fan, if you're a boxing fan, I'm an associate editor on another SB Nation site bloodyelbow.com so all of my work is encompassed uh, under the SB Nation banner so uh, thanks for me having thanks for having me on to talk Seahawks football thanks for coming um, on Mookie. yeah it's been uh, it's been a pleasure we hope to um, have you on again soon at some point hopefully during the season um, obviously to talk about how good the season is going for Seahawks yeah it, well if the season's not going well then i'm going to be declining so many hey you want to come on to this podcast no absolutely not i will be locked here for, for the, the lockdown is going to be because i don't want to talk to anybody about the state of seahawks football It'd be a total shambles but i'm expecting this season to be very good if it isn't there could be serious ramifications for this franchise moving forward so you always hope for the best uh, don't worry the next time we have you on we'll be talking about how russell wilson's finally going to get that one mvp mvp vote that they talk about at the start of every season so uh that's definitely going to happen yeah that, that that'd be like the that's his holy grail forget winning a super bowl another super bowl even getting a it's a super bowl mvp just that one mvp vote 
If Derek Carr can get one, so can Russell Wilson. <laughs> he doesn't even need to win MVP for the season. He just needs to know that somebody out there voted for him to get that one vote. So he was officially in the running to uh, to get Hang the banner out at Lumen Field. Russell Wilson got one MVP <laughs> vote. Tony That's Dungy, does he, do you still vote Tony Dungy? Because he, he voted for Bobby Wagner as MVP the year they won the Super Bowl. Just give Russell Wilson even one vote. And, or if go. Russell Wilson has a hot streak like he normally does at the season, his best seven, eight weeks, we will end the season right there and then do the vote. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. And that's what we'll have to change now. Or like, even if he can just time his, his like seven, eight game stretch where he's unstoppable to when the voting is actually takes place and he's fresh in people's minds. That's, that'll be the plan for next year. But look, it's been so great having you on. And look, it will hopefully speak to you again soon. But before we, uh, wrap up the show today guys if you haven't already and um, please like this video if you're watching it on youtube and subscribe to us uh, at the under center podcast on on youtube uh, that's where you'll find all of our shows and um, past shows as well and you'll find you'll be updated for all of our upcoming ones too twitter at under center pod instagram at under center pod and um, that's where you we are most active as well if you prefer the audio side of things and you want to listen to the show on the go Go to wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Under Center Podcast. You'll find us there. Subscribe. You'll have all the shows that you can listen back to there as well. Uh, Jake, thank you so much. I know this probably was a bit awkward for you now today, having to listen to two Seahawks fans talk about it. We're hoping that you could get in and talk a bit, a little bit about the Giants. That's okay. I got my one dig in that the Giants won the Seahawks last season, and I'm happy. <laughs> have you got a week without any Giants randomly retiring from the team? Yeah, we're almost a week now. I think we're six days. Yeah, you got to reset the counter just in case. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Days without an accident, days without retirement. There we go. Um, but like that, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for watching. And until the next show, stay safe and we'll see you soon. Go Hawks. <laughs>